0: Hey, everybody, we are here at downtown Orlando and we are asking our local residents, who is Jesus? Check this out. How's it going, man? Oh, just fine, just fine. What's your name? Johnny. Johnny, my name is Manny. How you doing? One question for you Who is Jesus? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That works.
1: Oh, well, I know he's the Son
0: of God. To you, who is Jesus? I
1: feel like in the past he may have existed to give people faith to um, be strong.
0: Who would you say Jesus is? I'm Jewish. Oh, okay. You're Jewish, so who is he to you? I don't know. Maybe Big Brother. <laughs> big Brother? I'm agnostic. So. Okay. Jesus
1: is actually nobody. Uh, the miracle man from the Bible.
0: Did he exist at all?
1: He's the personification mm-hmm. of something. Okay. In human form.
0: What would I say? Yeah. Jesus is the devil. Jesus is the devil.
1: The biggest person in the world.
0: Biggest person in the world. Someone you you look up to. Yeah. Do the same things, you know, that he did. Sacrifice things for others. That's cool. And you know, that's what you want to do in life. Just... Y'all believers. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate right. it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In Him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We call Him Yahweh, Elohim, Shekinah, Adonai, Jehovah, El Shaddai, God, Big Brother, Lord, Spirit, Master, King. God, having spoken to the fathers long ago, to the prophets, in many separate revelations, and in many ways has in these last days spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, through whom he created the universe, The sun is the radiance and only expression of the glory of God and the exact representation and perfect imprint of his essence and upholding and maintaining and propelling all things by his powerful word. When he had accomplished purification from sin and established our freedom from guilt, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels since he inherited a more excellent and glorious name than they the name above all names, Jesus.
1: Amen. I don't know about you, but I just got goosebumps right at the end of that thing. It was just like whoosh. (laughs) I love bragging on Jesus. Anybody else love the Lord? Come on, it's okay. Just love Jesus for a little bit. Man, I am so excited this morning to share with you about Jesus, the face of God. I want us to understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. In that video, you kind of saw this cosmic universe and you saw the expanse of God's creation. And then I loved how it shrinks all the way down to the earth and all the way down upon the earth into one man, and it's Jesus. Go ahead, celebrate that one more time, would you please? Amen. Do you have your Bibles today? You here are your notebooks. If you need a Bible or a notebook, we provide them for you here in the church. You can go ahead and grab one. But let's go ahead and get started. I want you to write those verses down, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And I want to go through that with you one more time. Today, I'm going to very clearly, without apology, tell you that I'm going to share a lot of Scripture with you today. And because I have so much scripture to share with you today, I'm going to have to go kind of quickly, so I need you to listen quickly. But sometimes the Lord has me do this, and I know it will be too much for you to read through and see with your eyes, so you're going to have to take some responsibility and go look at it throughout the week. Can we do that? Can you take responsibility to go through your notes throughout the week? You know, I I think sometimes, like my mom, my mom was Italian, and she's in, in heaven now, but I always remembered her Thanksgiving meals, which are coming up on Thanksgiving. Or obviously, that makes sense. <laughs> coming up soon, I should say. She used to always make a turkey, and then she'd make a lasagna, and sometimes a ham, and then green beans, and rolls, and salad, and all kinds of, you know, three or four, maybe five different pies. And there was about six of us eating all this, right? And the idea behind that was my mom's, my mom's heart was always, I hope it's enough. You know, that's kind of that, that more than enough kind of mentality to feed you well, Sometimes that comes out in me as your pastor, is this desire to make sure that you are fed very well. So how many of you are ready for a feast of God's word this morning? Is that okay? You can handle a lot of scripture. Come on, can you? I know you can. And so today we're doing it intentionally because of the nature of what we're talking about. Again, I want to go back to that video where it starts with the universe, it starts with the great expanse, and then all of that boils itself down or distills itself down into the person of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going today, that God became man, that all of that power, all of that glory. Sometimes people have a shrunken view of Jesus, which is why they can either take him or leave him. I mean, come on, what does that tell you? That tells you they have no idea who he is. This is the God that's flung the stars and the universe into space. He's offering relationship with you, and you're like, well, we'll see. You have no idea what's being offered to you. Or there's some people that God is so out there. God is, he's a word, he's a phrase, he's a thought, he's a theology, but you can't have relationship with a theology. See, your theology, your God became flesh, so you can know him so you can have confidence in who He is, so you can build trust with Him. Amen? So that's what today is all about. Let me read this passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And I'm reading it to you from the Amplified Bible, and the reason that is is it it expands or amplifies words. So it's going to get very, very wordy. So I believe it should be on the screen so you can kind of follow along. But I want to Build confidence and enjoy the language. Enjoy the words. Don't just try to get through them. See, one of the reasons I get excited when we do worship songs is when we start singing what a powerful name it is and death could not hold him and all those things, I believe the words coming out of my mouth. Therefore, genuine enthusiasm comes through my soul. If you just read through it, and you just wanna get through the language, you'll miss it. But because I take God at his word, and I take every word seriously. So if it says power, I believe in the greatest power. If it says victory, I believe in victory, unlike anything else. And so when you listen to the words, and you listen to the word of God, let it bring faith, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing that word of God. My faith doesn't come from me making it up. My faith gets stirred up by the word itself. I don't have confidence in my emotion. I have confidence in what is written. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1. God, having spoken to the fathers long ago in the voices and writings of the prophets, in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in many ways, has in these last days, speaking of the days of Jesus, has in these last days with finality spoken to us in the person of one who is by his character and nature his son, namely Jesus, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, My friends, Jesus is heir and lawful owner of all things. Celebrate that right now. I want you to catch that. I want you to believe it. I want you to understand what that means. That means the devil doesn't own it. That means people who arrogantly walk through this planet thinking they own something. Jesus is the heir and owner of all things. Through whom he also created the universe. Jesus created the universe, okay? He's not just Jesus loves you, walking around with a sheep on his shoulders. He created all things. He created the universe. That is the universe of space, time, matter, continuum. The sun, that's Jesus, the sun, S-O-N, is the radiance and only expression of the glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light being, the brilliant light of the divine, the exact representation and perfect imprint of of his Father's essence. Jesus, the exact image, the exact representation of the Father. And upholding and maintaining and propelling all things, the entire physical and spiritual universe, by the powerful word. My friends, Jesus is upholding and maintaining all things by his word. So when Hollywood mocks Jesus and people mock Jesus, he's the one holding the universe together. And his grace is keeping him holding it together when we don't deserve him to hold it together. Let's remember who it is that we're disrespecting. Let's remember who it is that people have all kinds of opinions about and they, they, they so easily spit in his face just like the Roman guard. Do you imagine a Roman guard spitting in the face of the God of the universe that's literally sustaining all things by the word of his power, the arrogance, but yet that's how deceived we can be. Amen. Carrying the universe along to its predetermined goal when he himself... And no other had by offering himself on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin accomplished purification from sin, sins and established our freedom from guilt. He sat down revealing his complete work at the right hand of the majesty on high, revealing his divine authority, having become as, become as much superior to angels since he has inherited a more excellent and glorious name than they. That is the son, the name above all names. Yeah, you can celebrate that. Look, today, if you don't celebrate, I brought my own hanky. (laughs) Shake at myself. Sometimes I like what comes out of my mouth because I don't know what's going to come out until it comes out. And I'm like, that was good, Jesus. He's like, right on. Let me show you how this concept helps us in our evangelism. The Apostle Paul, this isn't on the screen because I was praying over this this morning. I was reminded of Acts chapter 17. Just write it down in your notes, Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul was traveling through the city of Athens, and he noticed that they worshiped everything, gods of all kinds, actually collected gods. And then he had an opportunity to speak to the city, and he said, I noticed an altar here in your city to the unknown God. And he used that as an opportunity, as a platform to speak to them about the one true God and him sending Jesus. That's kind of the heartbeat of today. There's too many people out there that do not know God. They they have this concept or kind of these vague ideas. But as you look at Jesus, you can know God. God wants you to know him. Can we just appreciate that for a minute? God doesn't want to be a mystery to you. God wants you to be able to come to Him, and He wants you to be able to have confidence of who you'll get when you come, of who will be there on the other end. He wants you to have relationship with Him, and you cannot have relationship with someone you don't know. Sometimes we focus so much on he's, His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts, you can't know Him, and we kind of leave people hanging out there because we want them to know that God is big. But as much as God is big, He also has put on flesh so that you can see his face, you can have relationship with him. He has brought himself to a place that human beings can have relationship with the almighty God. And that's awesome. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to. Open your Bibles to the book of John chapter one. The book of John chapter one. John chapter one, this is the New Testament. If you're new to your Bibles, go to the New Testament. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are called the Gospels. John chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is speaking of Jesus. The Word there, that capital W, is referring to Jesus. So in the beginning, the Word, Jesus, already existed. The Word, which is Jesus, was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. Somebody say amen to that. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. That is Jesus. God put on flesh and dwelt among us. God took all the word, all of the promises, all of his covenants, and he... he imparted them, and he became flesh and dwelt among us. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, speaking of Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is my theme today, is that Jesus has come. He's taken all of God's promises, and it's indwelt within him. All of the covenants, and it's indwelt within him. All of God's power, it's indwelt within him. All that God is, it's indwelt within him. Because we have not seen God, God came and put on flesh. The word became flesh. So Jesus could reveal God to us. Do you see this? Sometimes we we just put Jesus on the cross that God just wanted to send Jesus to forgive you of your sins. One of the reasons Jesus came was to reveal God to man. The thoughts of God, to, to take the promises and all the theology of God and to put on flesh so that it made sense. All the covenants, all the promises, the great and precious promises that the prophets kept talking about, even about a suffering Messiah or about healing would be in his wings and all those things, all of that manifested or turned into the physical realm in Jesus. So, all of that, all these thousands of years of prophecies and words were then demonstrated and proven. True in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, I'm going back. that God doesn't want to be left as just words on a page or just mere theology or thought. He then brought all of that together in the person of Jesus so that Jesus could reveal God to us. God wants you to know him. And he wants to remove any obstacle that would keep you from knowing him through Jesus. I think we can just pause. In the past, I would just keep preaching until you started shouting, but I don't care about that right now. I got my own hanky. I think it's more important that you absorb what it is that was just said. Your God, the God, the only God, <laughs> desires for you to know him and to have a relationship that you can trust, that you can touch, that you can believe in, that you can put confidence in. This isn't religion like every other religion in the world. Do you understand how many religions in the world people have no idea what their God really wants? So people make it up as they go. Which is scary because you get things like throwing people in volcanoes to appease the God. Somebody came up with that. Volcanoes blowing up. What should we do? Let's throw them in and see if it stops. We make up crazy stuff. People cutting themselves, people sacrificing things, people doing all kinds. Why? Because they're trying to figure out what their God wants. They're trying to figure out what their God thinks. They're trying to figure out what their God believes. Our God put on flesh to show us so that we're not making it up as we go. So that we don't wonder and live in double-mindedness or fear, but we can live in faith and we can live in confidence because God put on flesh. And Jesus revealed God to us. So then when someone walks around and they say, well, I think God is like this, let's compare it to Jesus. So now people can't make up who God is. I think God would do this. Do you? How does that resonate with the person of Jesus? I, I have a straight line to compare anything that could be crooked. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Let's look at verse 9. John chapter 14, verse 9. Have you found it? Nobody. Okay, have you found it? Awesome. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus replied... Talking to his disciples, he says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not even my own, but they're my Father who lives in me. He does the works through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe because of the works you've seen me do. So Jesus is telling his disciples, especially Philip here, he's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he's saying, the words that I speak are even coming from the Father. And then the actions are the Father's actions. He said, I, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't show me to do. I'm, re- I'm here to reveal the Father to you. I'm here to reveal God to you. Why is that important? Because I don't know if we'd admit it, but I think there are people in this world who put God over here as the angry ogre, Jesus as the loving big brother, and the Holy Spirit is just the crazy uncle that people don't want to know about. (laughs) Come on. Like Jesus is nice, God is angry. Listen, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. All these nice, good words that people think, oh, isn't that wonderful what Jesus said? Those are the Father's words. Because he only spoke what the Father gave him permission to speak. Come on now. Jesus and God are not in opposition with each other. They're one. Right? So it wasn't like Jesus was letting you off and God's over here like angry and fuming. Jesus is revealing the Father. Jesus is revealing the Father, and even the works. So now you can read the words of Jesus and say, that's God's words. That's God's words. That's not just Jesus' words. That's God's words. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's God's words. And then the actions, when Jesus performed a miracle or how he responded to a sinner or how he responded to the Pharisees or how he responded to the doubters, it's how God acts how God acts. Let's get into that just a little bit for some examples of what I'm talking about. Let's talk about sinners just for a little bit. How does God respond to sinners? Well, do you remember the story? Maybe you're new to church. Let me tell you the story. There was a man, Jesus crossed this lake. There's a big storm. And on the other side, there was a man demonized or demon-possessed. And the Bible says that he had a legion of demons on the inside of him. A legion at that time, if the language proves true, could be approximately 2,000, because a Roman legion of soldiers was about 2,000. Would you admit that that's a lot of demons? Anybody? I think one demon is plenty. (laughs) This guy is 2,000, but the interesting language there is that the Bible says he was possessed with unclean spirit, an unclean spirit. Now maybe any demon is an unclean spirit. But there is this concept that unclean is also a perverse spirit, a perverse spirit. And so here, this guy, you ever wonder how the guy turned into a 2,000-possessed demon person? Again, we don't ask these questions. What happened to this guy? Because not everybody was walking around with 2,000 demons. This guy was out of his mind. He was insane. He was in the tombs trying to kill himself, hurting himself. And others, they tried to chain him. And he kept breaking the chains because of the immense power inside of the demons on the inside of him. The Bible says that they could hear him yelling from the tombs. He was yelling at night, tormented, probably wanting to die. But the devil wouldn't let him. That's amazing. Just wanted to keep him in torment. It's amazing. So if this man has a perverse spirit, unclean spirit, what was the journey? Did he just get involved in some sin and the sin got out of hand and then it went down a road of 2,000 demons? Did he he start with sexual perversion? Let's go back to the word perverse spirit. Did he start and open himself up to, to adultery or fornication, sleeping around with prostitutes or temple prostitutes? Was he worshiping false gods and idols? The reason I want to paint this picture is somehow this gentleman with his lifestyle opened himself up to thousands of demons. Why do I want to show you this? Because I want to show you someone whose life may look in the natural like it's too far gone. Because we see people in our culture and we make judgments of people as well, say, that person, oh man, if they could get saved or they could come to Christ. But I don't know if we'd ever admit it, but there are people that we say, man, that guy is so evil, so wicked, so perverse. We even see Hollywood stars and musicians so arrogant and living with such lascivious, that's a big word for these sexually irresponsible kind of lifestyles. Are like They're so perverse. I want us just to see that demoniac man for a minute. I don't know how he got to that place. But now I want you to see Jesus. That he would get in a boat and he'd cross a stormy lake And he's the only person that Jesus ministered to on that side of the lake. The Bible says Jesus comes out of the boat. The man comes, falls at his feet. He has this exchange with Jesus. And Jesus sets the man free from all 2,000 demons. And the Bible says the man is sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the effort of, I want to replace the word Jesus, the effort of God to cross over a lake, to get to, I believe, because he landed right on the beach where this demonized man would see him. I believe God was coming after that man. Amen? And when that man fell at his feet, Jesus did not sit there and point all these fingers and say, you perverse, sick, grotesque living person. He didn't sit there, did he, and continue to belittle this person or just leave him in that place of sin. And some people think that's, that's what would happen. If you come to God, God's just going to sit there and talk about how bad you are to you. And what Jesus did was he came and brought the solution to this man's bondage. He came and brought a future to this man who had no future. That's God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. God. So if you think, I'm so far gone, I'm so twisted, I can't even sit in church because I'm so perverse or so sick. Listen, God's coming to you. What would God do if he, if he knew who I was? God does know who you are. And Jesus has already demonstrated to you what God would do. He demonstrated personally in the Gospels when he showed you what he would do to a demonized person, to a demon-possessed person. He would set you free if you would give him an opportunity What would God do? You don't have to wonder. Jesus already did it. He's already showed you. Doesn't that give you confidence and hope and peace? There's just two more of these sinner stories, right? There's lots. got Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he... And he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could And then one day the Savior... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, Zacchaeus stole everybody's money. His brothers in, in, the, in, in the nation, his Jewish brothers and sisters, he stole their money. Made their families suffer so he could live rich. So sometimes it's easy, we can talk about the perverted guy, or the perverted person, But then, you know, we have these corrupt people. Corrupt, you know, people who use their place of influence to cheat people and steal. And they live wealthy lives while everyone else is suffering. And yet, when Jesus walked by, he saw Zacchaeus in that tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house for dinner. And all the religious people had a problem that Jesus would go to that guy's house because they had all been ripped off by him. And Jesus ate dinner with him. And that night, while he was eating dinner with him, notice Jesus' posture. He didn't sit there and pick on Zacchaeus. The Bible says Jesus was just eating his supper. He was sipping his soup, or maybe digging in his hummus, whatever they're eating. <laughs> if you read the story, Jesus wasn't preaching a sermon, he was eating dinner. And Zacchaeus, something came upon Zacchaeus. He throws down his spoon, he says, Okay, okay, I repent. <laughs> I give you my life. And if I've defrauded or cheated anyone, I will pay them back. Come on. What would God do if he knew the money you'd stolen from your company? What would God do if he knew how many people you've cheated? Does God want you? Yeah. And he's willing to come into your house. And if necessary, he'll sit there in your house for a while and wait on you and let let whatever's working inside of you work itself out. He's not there to judge. He's not there to quit on you. He came to Zacchaeus's house to save him, not to condemn him. The world was condemned already. The Son came to save you. Amen. And again, this is what God would do. Jesus is God. And he's giving us example after example. And I've already showed you a few weeks ago how Jesus treated a woman caught in adultery. When everyone wanted... In John chapter eight, to everyone wanted to stone her, and, and Jesus said he is without sin, let him cast the first stone, which would have been Jesus. He's the only one without sin. He gave himself permission to cast the first one. Then everyone else would cast theirs, but he chose not to cast that stone, even though he was legally able to cast that stone, because he knew he would take her place. Sometimes I just want us to pull Jesus out of the gospel stories saying, this is just stories about Jesus. This is Jesus revealing God to us, so that you can get to know God, so that you and I can know what God is like, so that you and I can know what to expect, so that you and I can confidently share with somebody who's going through something to give them example of how Jesus reacted or showed himself in the natural, so that they could have confidence how God would receive them, or your children or yourself when you go through stuff. Let's move on from sinners, and let's just talk about healing. What are God's thoughts on healing? What's God's kind of mindset on healing? Just write these verses down. There's a Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. There was a leper that came to Jesus. And he said, if it be your will, you can heal me. A leper, by the way, in case you're new to the Bible. Some of us aren't familiar with that. It's not a leopard. Not an animal. (laughs) A leper. Leper. And don't make a meme out of my face there, Jacob, when I went burr. Last week, the week before, I had a face, and Jacob made a meme out of me. It's okay. At least the message was memeingful to you, Jacob. Oh, come on. That was gold. That was gold. Anyways, leper. I oh, got him laughing in the back. Good job. I win. Okay. Leper. A leper was someone who had a skin disease. It was a deteriorating t- disease. And it was, it was basically a walking death. And they would, they would end up decaying until they die. And they weren't allowed to touch anybody. They had to remove themselves because they didn't have a cure for it. And so they had to remove themselves from family, remove themselves from friends. They couldn't see their families their children. They're isolated and dying. Body parts falling off, decaying and falling off. It's tragic. You can't imagine what that might be like to be pronounced a leper in the society. It was a a walking death sentence, slow death sentence. And so this leper who wasn't supposed to come into the crowd, who legally by coming into the crowd or coming into the presence of Jesus could have been judged for that. And yet he came and he presented himself to Jesus. And he said, if you will, you can make me clean or you can make me whole or you can heal me. And this is the part I want you to see. Look it up later. I gave you the verse, just to make sure you have it. Again, the verse, you can look it up later. Um, Matthew 8, 1 through 3. The leper says, if you will, you can make me clean. And I love this. Jesus didn't just heal him. He didn't just say, be healed. He answered the guy's question in his head. The guy wondered, do you will for me to be healed? And Jesus answered and said, I will. I do will. I do desire this. I want your healing. And then he says, be made clean. Be healed. Isn't that awesome? How many times do people ask, is it God's will to heal me? And that's what the leper was asking. God, is it your will to heal me? Because I know if it's your will, I can be healed. Jesus didn't just heal him, he wanted to answer that question. And I believe he was answering it not just for him, but for all time. I do will be healed, be healed, be clean. Isn't that powerful? In another verse, I want you to see, you can look it up, Matthew 4, 23 through 24, Jesus spends his entire day just healing and delivering, healing and delivering. Delivering means he's setting people free from demons. All day, all day healing and delivering and he's not judging who gets it who doesn't get it it's my will for you but not for you it's my will for you but this one i think is going to teach you something you need to keep it for a while come back to me in about six months after you've matured a little bit you you need to earn it a little bit jesus literally sat in a house and he just healed and he 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 delivered and he delivered and he delivered and it wasn't based on that person's uh performance it wasn't based on whether or not they were good enough it was based that they were children of a covenant They were based on children of a covenant, and so he healed based on a covenant with them. Should not this woman be healed, being that she is a daughter of Abraham, Jesus said, to a a lady in the synagogue one time. Are you understanding this? So that when you come up and you ask for God to heal you or you ask for something, Jesus revealed the Father to us. And so like the leper, you don't have to have this question in your head, does God want to heal me or not want to heal me? We can come up with confidence that it is God's will to heal his children. It is God's will to heal his children amen that's our position that's our posture when we pray for you so when we lay hands on you I can only pray for you one way and that's that God would heal your body because that's the permission I have in scriptures is anyone sick among you let them call for the elders of the church they will anoint them with oil the prayer offered in faith will heal raise them up heal the sick raise them up amen so that's our posture so we're not double-minded in that and I know you might have a lot of questions what happens if I prayed and it didn't happen What happens if I prayed and somebody died and went to heaven? I give those questions to God. And one day when we get to heaven, we can ask him if we still care to ask him. But scripturally speaking, I only have one example. And that is anyone that came to Jesus for healing, he offered them healing freely. He didn't put a question mark in their head. He prayed for their healing, he released them, he gave them confidence that it was God's will to heal. And that is our position here. Do you understand that? All right. You can celebrate that. What about children? How does God act towards children? Isn't God a grumpy grandfather? First of all, I love grandfathers because I watch these strong guys melt and give their money and their life to these little five and six-year-old leaders of their life now. (laughs) Listen. Look at Jesus hanging out with the kids. I put this in here. It may not seem relevant, but it helps paint the picture of the heart of God. Sometimes we think God is so busy running the universe or God is so busy setting up kingdoms or tearing down kingdoms or moving his plan and agenda. Listen, the Bible says that Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verse 15 through 17, he took time to sit and let people bring their children to him so he could lay his hands on the children and bless them, pronounce a blessing over their life. God blesses those children. They weren't a burden to him. They weren't a distraction to him. He wasn't too busy running the world that he couldn't be with the children. There's just something about that picture of God. That's God with the children. God sitting and hanging out with the children, placing his hands on them and blessing them. Amen? John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. Let's talk about doubting Thomas. Or the betrayer, Peter. Not Judas because he never came back, but Peter. Let's look at Thomas and Peter. Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. Look, Thomas had his doubts about Jesus rising from the dead. Thomas, for those of you that are new to the Bible, he's one of the disciples. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. On the third day, he resurrected. Uh, Two women came back and said, Jesus is alive. Peter and John ran to go see the, temp- the tomb. It was empty. They came back and there had been stories of Jesus being resurrected. And so all the disciples have kind of come to this conclusion that it's, it's true. But then here's Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He's labeled Doubting Thomas. And he's like, I'll believe it when I see it. And sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap. We think Thomas was always Doubting Thomas. Do you know there was a time When Jesus was going back to Jerusalem, or back to, I think it was Jerusalem, and the disciples were like, they're going to kill you if you go back. And Jesus was like, I'm going back. And Thomas stood up and he said, well, let's go die with him. No one ever brags on Thomas for that. Thomas wasn't always doubting Thomas. At one time, he was ready to die for Jesus. Jesus. Have you ever been in a place where you were really zealous for God at one time in your life, but then something happens that disappointed you? Like Thomas didn't know Jesus was going to be crucified, so that act, it rattled Thomas. Thomas wasn't born doubting Thomas. He wasn't, his mother didn't hold him in the, in the swaddling clothes. Oh, doubting Thomas. Something happened that caused his zeal to turn into doubt. A disappointment came in, an unexpected tragedy. The plan didn't work out the way he thought it was supposed to work out. It could be a marriage, a business. Anyone ever been there? At one time you were super zealous for God, but something happened, and you went from being zealous for God to now being doubting Kevin. And your doubts begin to identify you now. Your doubts begin to lead rather than your faith. How would God deal with you? Jesus walked through a wall and he came to Thomas. He said, here's my hands, touch them. Here's my side, touch it. And he says, you've believed because you've seen. Blessed are those who've never seen and yet they believe. But he wasn't rebuking him for that. He was just identifying that, yeah, he believes now. That's great. Many of us will never see that physical expression of Jesus, but I want you to see that Jesus was even willing to come to a doubting Thomas and to let Thomas settle his doubts. He didn't use his doubts to condemn Thomas. He didn't use his doubts to shrink or diminish Thomas. He came to the doubter and he gave him an opportunity to believe again. is that awesome? What would God do? Yeah, celebrate that. What does God what would God do with someone that questions? What would God do with someone as a doubter? He'd come to you and give you an opportunity, giving you an opportunity to settle those doubts. Peter, Peter betrayed Jesus. He said he didn't even know him when Jesus was on trial. Peter was another disciple. And when Jesus raised from the dead, he said, go tell my brothers that I'm alive. And he said, and make sure you tell Peter. I love that God, again, doesn't just look at the agenda that he's trying to do. He doesn't just look at the big story. He still cared about Peter. He knew Peter was condemning himself. He knew that Peter would separate himself from the group. Because when he said, go tell my brothers that I'm alive and go meet me, he knew that Peter now believed he didn't qualify to be one of those brothers anymore. In Peter's mind, he no longer fit in the holy box. I no longer fit with the righteous people. I no longer fit with the disciples. I betrayed Jesus. And here God again gives us example of what God would do for us who have betrayed him or who have failed him, who maybe think that we don't fit with the disciples. We're not good enough to be in the group anymore. God is calling your name specifically. God, not just Jesus. Remember, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen... The Father. And you can go on and on. One last example. And I just like to share these because sometimes, again, we, we don't realize what Jesus is revealing to us. He's revealing the Father to us. Jesus feeding the 5,000 or turning the water into wine. Both of these miracles, they weren't like life altering, shattering things. He looked at the crowd and he says, they've been here a while, they're hungry. Let's feed them. And it was a, a miracle of provision. It was a miracle of blessing. It was a miracle just to let them know that I'm aware of their physical need and I want to make sure that they're taken care of. There was a, it was a miracle of love. It, it, there was no universe hanging in the balance there was no life or death hanging in the balance. Come on. He chose to provide the food for five, which could have actually been ten to 12,000 people, or changing water into wine. There was no eternal destiny that we know of hanging in the balance there. But yet he wanted to demonstrate a willingness to bless, a willingness to provide, a willingness that he cared about the wedding and the quality of the wedding. Why do I bring that up? Because sometimes, don't you want to pray for your daughter's wedding? Don't you want to pray for your son's wedding? Don't you want to pray sometimes that God would get involved in some things that aren't always life or death, that aren't always universal crisis? Anybody? I mean, sometimes I just want to find a good deal at the car lot. (laughs) Sometimes you may just want to find a discount at the dress store. Sometimes you need God to provide a parking place in some of these Outlet Moss. Jesus, help us. But would God of the universe concern himself with such things? Do you see what I'm saying? You might think these are just cutesy little stories, but yet Jesus reveals something about God in these stories. In these illustrations. They're not stories. They're illustrations of God's love, awareness, what he'll do. And so this afternoon, when you're praying for God to stretch your paycheck, like he did the 5,000, maybe you won't die if it doesn't stretch, but God's willing to get involved and stretch it. See, sometimes we, we are the ones that take things away from God, and we don't want to ask him for things because we think it's too insignificant yet Jesus, the Bible tells us that we have not because we ask not. And then we go to put it back on ourselves again and it's really a bigger deal than we really admit to because it's eating us up on the inside because we're worrying about it. And yet we could cast it on him and and we're the ones that say, well, he wouldn't be concerned about that. Have you asked? Have you presented it? He was concerned to make sure that the, the wine didn't run out at a wedding. Isn't God wonderful? Go ahead and just celebrate him, would you? Those verses, in case you need to know the 5,000 and the wine, Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Matthew 14, 13 through 21. And John chapter 2, 1 through 11. God doesn't leave our image and concept of him to guesswork or opinions. I'm going to say that and I'm going to close. God doesn't leave our image of him and our concept of him to guesswork or opinions. He showed us who he was, who he is in the person of Jesus. So I ask this final question, what, why does this matter? Because none of this, if there's not that question, can't be answered easily. Why did this whole conversation about Jesus coming in the flesh, showing us God, why does this matter? Number one, it matters because we don't have relationship with an idea or a theology, but with a real, living, knowable God. We don't have a relationship with an idea or theology, but with a real, living, and knowable God. Why does this matter? Number two, because I can know Him and have confidence in how He will respond. I can know him and have confidence in how he will respond. That's where the healing thing came in. That's where provision comes in. That's where if I have sinned or fallen short, how will he respond? Jesus has already revealed to us the Father. And so I can have confidence in how he will treat me, a sinner coming into his presence, or someone who has need of a financial need or a healing need. He's already given me confidence, trust. It builds trust. Lastly, why does this matter? Because I can introduce him to others with that same confidence. Because I'm not making it up as I go. I can introduce him to others. That's why this message matters. Because I can with confidence introduce him to others because I know that the same way he is in the scriptures, the same way he is with me, and it's the same way he'll be with the one that I love that I'm trying to share him with. He's not gonna treat me one way and them differently. Amen? Because he's already given us the example after example after example. Why don't you go ahead and stand as we close in a word of prayer. Did you get anything out of that today? Go ahead, celebrate. Give the Lord praise for that. Amen. Let's do this. Let me pray this into your life. Go ahead and stand on up. I'm going to pray this over you, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you for revealing yourself in Jesus to us. That God, we can know God, that you're not just an idea, you're not a theology, you're not a mystery in that sense, but you have put on flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen you. We have beheld your glory. Jesus has revealed you to us. I pray that today stirs our confidence, stirs our trust, stirs our our expectation. And God, I do pray that You help us to start coming to you with a clearer picture of who you are and sharing you with others. I give you thanks and praise for all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening, and God bless.